Welcome back to Ladies with Gumption. This is episode 114, Unburdening Yourself. We recap DCTV in a flash, and I am May, and I'm here with... Tatiana. And Jessica. As always, you can find us over on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, and Stitcher, uh, as well as sending us all your lovely thoughts to ladieswgumption.tumblr.com and to our email, ladieswgumption at gmail.com. Um, we do still have our Patreon, so for those of you who are still contributing in these unprecedented times, we truly, really appreciate it. We thank you so much, and um You've been getting like some exclusive uh, episodes from us, including our last few, which have been about Harley Quinn and Birds of Prey, um, Existing While Not White, where we updated our fandom conversation about characters of color and how fandom treats them versus how the narrative treats them. Um, just also, FYI, FYI, comparing a man of color to a horse is not the joke that you think it is, blanky blank. Yes. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> It is not, so, you know, please watch yourself out there, uh, not be making those types of comments, um, and just be mindful when you talk about people of color, because it's, you know, shouldn't be saying certain things. Anyway, um, yeah, and we have, like, other episodes, like Watchmen, Witcher, uh, we did one on Elite, Elite, season one, three, and you, and we're gonna you know, do some more when we come up on the next hiatus, which should be for a while because, you know, of the pandemic and all the shows are going to be out for a few months. So we'll have more content for you there. Over in the news section, we have um, Grant Gustin did a Inside of You podcast with Michael Rosenbaum, where the main takeaway was really that they were in the middle of contract. I don't know if the whole cast was, or he was just talking about himself, but they were in the middle of contract negotiations. Yeah, for seasons eight and nine. Um, and those were stopped because of the pandemic. So they're on pause for the time period, and they don't really know when they're going to go back. But there have been a couple of interviews with, I think, Grant and Eric saying um, that anything that didn't really get wrapped up for season six, the scripts have been written. They were going to find a way to, like, shoehorn them into season seven. So, like, the reverse flash um storyline is still gonna be around for season seven um and parts of the black hole storyline because we know that's not really going to get wrapped up by episode 19 um we also have the first official pictures from the star girl release and a lot of them were the supporting cast which i assume are her friends yeah so that's plan. yeah, so that's really cool, and that's coming up in a few weeks. So three weeks from now, Star Girl will premiere, and we will probably review that. Um, I still actually need to see the first three episodes, and I have been slacking yeah. off. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So what are you doing? <laughs> I can't do anything. It's just every time I sit down to watch something that I have on my list, I'm just like, oh shit, no, I have to watch that other thing first, and then you know, <laughs> it just there's just so much out there. <laughs> um, and apparently Danielle confirmed she had a boy. Did she not confirm that before? No, because you remember I like, don't think she had, she had a baby, but then you know, she never like showed the baby or said what the baby was. But apparently, in uh, a recent Instagram live that she did, I guess someone asked, and she said she had a boy. So, mm-hmm. well, congratulations to Very her nice and nameless baby baby Panda Baker. Um, <laughs> baby Panda Baker, <laughs> <laughs> and, baby. and whatever her husband's last name is, so whatever. <laughs> <laughs> um, over in 
other DC TV news, we have the Smallville cast is reuniting for charity. Um, they are doing a, I think, a Zoom call between like Tom Welling, Kristen Kruick, and Michael Rosenbaum. What was that? So who did the first Zoom call reunion? Because like every you know, nostalgia show is like hopping on like the bandwagon. Yeah. <laughs> like Will Smith did one for like Fresh Prince of Bel Air. I'm just like, who started this? <laughs> I remember, like, um, it wasn't was it Big Mouth or some some Netflix animation did a, like a screenplay read through for charity like mid March, and uh, I feel like it caught on after that. Um, but yeah, so they'll be video chatting, and you know they'll be there to ask all of your burning questions that you've had for the last many years since the season 10 finale um and then mm-hmm, that mm-hmm. will go to a charity to support the children and families of the los angeles ronald mcdonald house um and then Why not? yeah and then candace and candace appeared on a show i can't remember the name of the show but it was for like the actors fund a week right. ago and that same for that same um fund grant carlos jesse and um andy what is his last name? The guy who yeah. plays Pied Piper. Yes. Yes. Is, is, we're doing oh, yeah. like a Broadway game show type um, thing today for that actress fund as well. So that's pretty cool. Um, and in sad news, we have the recasting of Iris for the Flash movie, which apparently is and isn't coming out. We don't know at this point. Scheduled for 2022. <laughs> I don't know. Illuminati broke the news. Mm-hmm. About the the casting the tragic novel. news, yeah. Yes. And they're, I was they're like, what do we pretend it's not real? But uh, <laughs> yeah, we do so not. We're <laughs> all here up tragic. to date, you know, breaking news stories. Please check <laughs> out Nerdy. Thank you, Please click every ad you see when you do that. <laughs> please, yeah, so please apparently, like me. the casting call <laughs> is calling for. A 21 to 25 year old who, to play a 23 year old Iris West. Um, she's not second on the call sheet apparently. Yeah, she's and, not. Yeah. and they're not specifically looking for a black actress either, which is a huge problem. That's, I mean, that's such a for a white person in my opinion. If it's right. not like saying like, that's all part about is because they know that DC TV Iris sells and is popular. Mm -hmm. So I don't understand why I don't want to bank on that, but whatever. Maybe they will surprise us. We we don't know, but I mean, I highly got it, but still. Yeah. Yeah. I'm just saying Black Magic continues to work. What'd you say? Grant's Black Magic continues to work. Something that goes amiss with his casting, we just have to call up Grant to work his <laughs> 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 <Come> <laughs> on, Grant. back another like five or ten years. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. 
the next director. Maybe he's agreeing to negotiations for more seasons of The Flash. She's like, the longer I do The Flash, the longer there will not be a Flash movie. (laughs) Ten seasons of The Flash. Let's go. Yeah, I mean, Eric apparently was dreaming about seasons eight and nine, literally in his head, about what the villain will be and how that will pertain to Barry and Iris. I'm like, well, at least he's putting them at first. So that's that's nice. (laughs) All right. So this week we have... um, Batwoman, Batwoman's back, Bat Legends of Flash, so Batwoman, Legends of Tomorrow, and Flash, all on side A. We will talk about our likes, dislikes, and Lady with Gumption of the Week, and to set us up is our lovely host, Jessica. Yay! So our side A, and only side, is, of course, Batwoman, all shows, and our slide titles are Fantasy, Not Reality, Success is Assured, and Design Destiny. So first up, we have Batwoman. Um, Batwoman encounters a new challenge when an old villain named the Detonator resurfaces, testing the heroics of Gotham's most stand-up citizens. Kate is still reeling from the effects of taking a life, leaving Gotham without their Kate Crusader, and opening up room for fakes who wear very flimsy costumes and get stabbed because they're stupid. Um... Sophie and Julia break open a lead in the Lucius Fox murder and discover that the call is coming from inside the house. Crow's own lead of homicide was responsible for the murder at the behest of Tommy Elliott, who, in present day, finds himself writing to anyone who will listen in Arkham about his BFF, Bruce. Alice's limits are tested being trapped in people crazy, with people crazier than her in Arkham, but the new Queen of Hearts knows an opportunity to rule when she sees one with a shank courtesy of Tommy Elliott. Mouth gets a new face, and Alice becomes poised to take over Arkham as her new kingdom. Paul Wesley, Vampire Diaries, Paul Wesley, directed this episode, written by Daphne Miles. What part are you, Paul Wesley? I feel like, yeah, if you didn't know this was written by, like, this was directed by Paul Wesley, was there any, like, Paul Wesley... I don't know. Has he directed signature moves? <laughs> he definitely has directed before. He directed really in one of the final that seasons. That was the classic Paul Wesley right there. You're like, <laughs> <laughs> he definitely directed one of the final uh, like seasons of in one of the final seasons of Vampire Diaries. But I would not be able to tell you, you know, what that is like. Um, I had no idea. I, I remember now, in retrospect, hearing that he was going to direct and being like, "Oh, that's so cool that you know." The Vampire Diaries family is, like, keeping it in the family, but <laughs> but I do not know. I have not watched anything he has directed, which includes five episodes of Vampire Diaries, an episode of Legacies, an episode of Shadowhunters, and an episode of Roswell, New Mexico. So maybe I have uh, watched a season two episode that I haven't seen. But I don't know. I knew he directed an episode this season. I just didn't remember which one it was. So when I yeah. pulled up the description, I was like, oh, okay. But yeah, so it's a happy surprise. I feel like they um, should have. I thought it was like this up a little bit more. You yeah, know? exactly. Given given an interview yeah. with him or something, you know. Yeah. Especially since it was coming after a long break. Right. What are you doing over there, Batman? <laughs> okay, Spark Joy. I did it for you. I will say I thought it was a very well directed and well written episode. I think that one has been very steady on that front um, ever since, like, whatever. I don't know. At the very least, the crossover. We've always been saying this. Ever since, like, episode three or something. I can't remember. Whatever the episode with that, she's in Arkham now, but that magpie girl. I didn't like that one. That was probably like the Oh, no, no. That one was bad. You're right. That one was bad. 
I don't remember what that one was. So, so excluding that one, it's been getting better. <laughs> Yay. Also, she was, like, back in this episode, right? Like, they, yes, they showed her or mentioned her or whatever, and I was like, so, we'll talk about that. Well, we won't talk about that later. Just, that's enough. So, anyway, moving on. <laughs> Sparking joy. I did love how we started with um Alice and Kate, like, together, you know, in that kind of, like, dream scenario. Of, like, oh, how things could be. Because um, I like that it's something that still is present in Kate's mind and in Alice's mind that is weighing on both of them, you know, in different ways. Uh, Kate is dealing with the fact that she killed someone and also that she's maybe more like her sister than she thought. And then Alice still, like, wants to be accepted by her family that put her in Arkham. So it's, like, very sad, even though she really should be in Arkham. Not Arkham. A place better than Arkham that actually knows how to treat its patients. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Well, whatever. (laughs) So... I like that you still have them at the, like, heart of or the center of the story. Um, also, um, the parts of, I, of Alice's story that I did like, I enjoyed her interactions with Tommy Elliot. And the way that she was just like, Bruce Wayne! Bruce Wayne! <laughs> and he was like, I'll say his name! <sighs> that was very funny to me. Um, <laughs> uh, so I also really loved, um, I liked how we get to see Batwoman's impact with all these little Batwoman wannabes dressing up and thinking they can, like, fill that hole or whatever, you know? I think they've done – that one has done a really good job of showcasing the interaction between Gotham and its hero slash heroes, right? Like, that woman replaced that man, and now it's like when that woman is out, this is what happens with the villains, and this is what happens with the civilians, and et cetera. I really hate that. I mean, I get it, but, like, you know (laughs) – yeah. You're like, you're stupid. It didn't spark yeah. joy for you. Because it's actually Batman, as opposed yeah. to, why would, you, why would you put yourself in that position when she has so many criminals <laughs> after <Right>. her? <laughs> you're, you're a little bit mad if you do that. But hey, at least you're not becoming a criminal yourself. You're just putting yourself in. It's going to die. <laughs> Only become vigilante if you have your powers or are a billionaire. Otherwise, don't think about it. <laughs> But anyway, that's what Kate should do. Kate should probably publish a vigilante handbook. It's like, ways to become a vigilante. It's like, if you don't, don't try this at home, kids. (laughs) (laughs) But anyway, I also really loved how they had um, Kate's feelings about having to take a life intermingle with, connect with Luke's storyline. That Luke finally has a storyline, A, success, and also B, really got to see Kate and Luke connect as the friends that they're supposed to be. And, like, when he was, like, the only person that you hang out with, you know, you didn't tell the only person that you that you interact with on a daily basis. Um, so we get to see more of that side of their relationship, which I feel like we haven't seen in a while. I feel like it's sort of been, like, Luke is just there and is, like, mmm, grumpy quips. Um, so now, now we actually get to see how important he is to Kate and vice versa. And I also liked how he was actually brought to that same, you know, brink. And Kate was able to take her own lessons and uh, pass them on to him in a way. Um, also, uh, they're so good at escaping explosions. Like, I don't know how many times, like, <laughs> things exploded in them, and it's like, I got a stretch, barely, maybe. So, good job, guys. Very proud of you. Also, um, so glad that Mary got to finally stand up and say, hey, I know that you're Batwoman. Um, <laughs> these are all the reasons why I know that you're Batwoman. Um, and I like that first that Kate stopped trying to make up with, like, you know, she didn't bring in Julia again to be like, hey, look, no, this is Batwoman. Um, but also I really liked that Mary didn't, wasn't even angry about it anymore. She really, like, took it in stride 
and also understood maybe, maybe because Kate came back to save her or something, which is like, this isn't about me being, you know, distant from you in some way or you not loving me or you not respecting me or whatever, you know? She's like, you're a beautiful tropical fish, Kate, and so is that woman. Therefore, you must be that woman. Um, and then also it was hilarious when Luke was the one trying to come up with like random excuses, right? Like, no, go do your real estate thing now to your real estate meeting. So that was really funny. I look forward to Mary and Luke working more uh, closely together as they are now both officially on Team That Woman. Meanwhile, I love that Julia and Kate just kind of were like, okay, moving on now. Thanks for that. Bye. And then we got more sexual tension with Julia and Sophie. But I'm like, I don't know, because like, I'm rooting for this now, but like it has to be like, really long, like short-term rooting. So I don't know where we're going with this. But I really like seeing them uh, investigate together in terms of the crows and who was behind all these murders and the cover. So they did a really good job with that. I like seeing Sophie be uh, an investigator, and I like seeing her interact with Julia. And that is all that I have to say. Oh, my God. I loved Julia and Sophie. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, oh, my God. That's a long look. And then I was like, oh, is that flirting? I love it. There was only what? I think there's only one bed in that apartment. I'm pretty sure. Uh huh. <laughs> yeah, and then like Sophie complaining that you know Julia can't order any of the good burgers or whatever. That all that interaction was just super very cute. Domestic. Yeah, yeah, very domestic, very sweet, and I like that their relationship has kind of been building over the last couple of episodes, and then we saw that Julia is back again to be on the task force with Sophie. So they're just going to be bomb ass leaders and do what they need to do. And it actually didn't really like make me annoyed that they're keeping Julia around because she's also getting to interact with, you know, Sophie and all these other characters versus just keeping her too, you know, relegated to Batwoman specifically. And I really like that scene too of her and Kate, you know, She's like, I haven't been here in a week. You haven't been answering my calls. But Kate's like, without really saying much, like, thank you, you know, for being there for me. And I thought it was really nice. Um, and I just, in general, like, I agree with Tati. I, I really appreciate that the show is exploring the post-traumatic stress of um, having Kate kill someone because this has been ongoing for several episodes now. And, it, you know, it was really cool that they associated – like her killing with the fact that she felt she couldn't wear the bat suit because of that. Like she was unworthy. Like, you know, she's like, Thor, I can't have my hammer right now because I'm not worthy of the hammer. (laughs) 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 So that's what it really felt like. And it was like really good to get inside her head because there's been so much going on with her lately. Um, And, you know, they haven't just dropped this. It was just like, Oh, let's explore what it is like to actually have killed someone and to move on with that information, you know, despite her having gone to like military school and all this training and whatnot, like she thought that because she had set such a high standard for Batman himself, like she thought he was on this pedestal, he would never do the same thing. And then that like confirmation from Luke that, yeah, basically Batman killed Joker. So he's done these types of things and no one is perfect yeah so it was really nice to see that human moment for her as well as that she got to share it with luke because of what he was going through he was about to to kill joker is his 
doing anything anymore. Yeah, yeah. And how maybe why like Bruce (laughs) even left Gotham to begin with. Like maybe this is what happened and that's what sent him away. So yeah, so it was like, oh, this is why he's never gonna show up in the Arrowverse. We get it now. Thank you, Babylon writers. (laughs) So all of that really made sense and again like tying it back to Luke and and what he's been going through and just being so angry you want to kill someone but that it doesn't always make the pain go away. So I really like that they tied it back um, to that. And Mary, Mary knowing that Kate's Batwoman, obviously, for a while now, but, like, her finally getting to the point where she was just so fed up with waiting around for Kate to finally tell her. So she's just like, you know what? You are the one that inspires the city, and you need to keep going. Like, she doesn't expect her to be a hero. She just wants her to not stop doing and then, you know, don't don't stop keeping going. Just keep keep doing what you're doing, even if you don't feel that great. Because, like, it's every small step in one direction. You just have to get out of bed and you have to just keep going. And I love that message and the fact that, like, Mary's now kind of in on the team. And Kate didn't take away from that moment by trying to make up excuses as to, no, no, she's not really Batwoman. So all of that was really good. Um, also love that Luke had a, has a storyline and that... We, while we found out like who was behind Lucius's murder, we don't really have, we still don't really have all of the information. And I like that it wasn't fully 100% wrapped up, um, yet because it still gives him some ammo for future episodes. Um, like there's a journal and Tommy Elliott's involved and that, all of that's really good. Like they're laying the breadcrumbs. It's really simplistic just for it to be because Tommy Elliott wanted the manual, but. Yeah. There's some, there's definitely something else there. Um, but yeah, so all of that was good. And I think it was just a good episode in terms of, like, the plot was okay, but the character stuff that we got out of it was really well done. Yeah, I definitely would agree with that. Um, I really, I also really love the opening sequence between Kate and Alice living together and playing video games. Cause it was just so, I don't know, it was like, uh, shock like a whiplash because Kate is like playing video games and here comes Alice and like wait a minute how are you two together and you know just their chemistry when they're being normal sisters and you know playing video they're like acknowledging each other's past but it was it's like it's normally it's like what could be and then you know when you see them having fun together it's like oh yeah this is a dream <laughs> and you're just waiting for it to like <laughs> 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 waiting for the other foot to fall or whatever you shoot a drop or whatever and it was just like you know it's such a nice like slice of normality that of course it wasn't real and I was like really sad when the dream woke up uh ended for Alice and she woke up in Arkham with whatever that guy seemed about to go and undergo another like shock therapy or, or whatever um because it just like like you said it goes back to even after everything that's happened between them, even after Kate tricked her and locked her in Arkham, there is still some part of Alice that yearns for that mended relationship with her sister. Um, So that's, I mean, it's really nice to see. Um, I also really like the introspective into Kate's mental state and how taking a life has changed her and that it's not so easy um, because I feel like, that's not really explored in the DCTV universe um, often. 
because you always have like the rays of sunshine, like Har and Barry, that never do it, can never think of doing it. And even when they, you know, Barry did go through times like, yeah, I'm gonna kill him, and they're like, no, Barry, that would change who you are so much, you can't do it. The power of love compels you, and so like you never, Barry would never do that. Cars would never go down that road. And then on the other side, you have these like dark shadows, like Oliver and Sarah, who are already immune to it. We kind of skipped over the five years of them becoming immune to killing people. Um, so it's just like, you know, an everyday thing for them. Um, so seeing like the disillusionment happen in real time for Kate is kind of a nice change of pace. Um, and I, I liked how they linked it back to Luke's storyline because you know, Kate and Luke have this kind of parallel going on where, and they connected Kate's feeling of, you know, following through on a murderous intent to avenge a lost parent versus Luke getting dangerously close to crossing that line as well. So I like how they were able to tie in Kate's current mental status with what Luke is going through in the climax of the episode and how she talks him out of it. Because she has been there, and, um, you know, earlier she wasn't telling him the truth, and she's trying to keep it, you know, all bobbled in, and then after talking to Mary and, and getting that kind of pep talk from her, which is also, like, really nice, Mary could finally just be like, listen, I'm not waiting for you to, you know, come to me, I'm just going to tell you, I don't know what's going on with you, but, you know, the reason why you're Batwoman, that you give people hope and you keep going, you know, every day's not going to be your best day, but you just, it's kind of like that nice pep talk. Even if you're not a superhero, sometimes you, through work or school or whatever, you have like a bad day, you mess up a performance or something like that, and it just feels like the end of the world, but you have to just keep going. Like, life doesn't stop because you stopped. You have to keep pushing forward. Um, and so I think that kind of helps jumpstart Kate and gave her the push that she needed so that when Luke is considering, you know, just ending it all, like, everybody's going to blow up in this damn tower. <laughs> no one is getting out. <laughs> and, you know, at that moment, Kate was able to unburden herself and um, share how she's feeling because she hadn't been sharing at all. And so, and Luke knew something was off with her. So the fact that he now knows the reason why and how that has changed her kind of helped him to realize that he also didn't want to go down that path. So I thought that was a really nice parallel between the two um, all throughout the episode. And then speaking of sharing feelings in Arkham, that was another theme of unburdening yourself. Not, you know, love, share, and tell. Um, I think that storyline was a little, you know, I guess the whole, I guess it kind of connected through the theme of like just unburdening yourself, but the whole the introduction of Pamela was really right, interesting. Right. And I think the thing that I liked spark joy for me in that is in the group scenes, just that Alice was just so uncomfortable. It's like, why are all these people so crazy? <laughs> like this is one sign that people seem crazier than she looks. <laughs> but you know what actually worked too is like that mouse is over his need to kill Alice for the, because of the fear toxin or whatever. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, and the fact that he was just like opening up and blossoming in therapy, she's like, what are you doing? Like, this is insane. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, and then let's see. Of course, Julia and Sophie working together and like bouncing ideas off of each other, like in their 
little one bedroom apartment where they share burgers and you know I guess Sophie doesn't like pickles but she knows that Julia likes pickles or you know all this like cute little stuff and then just kind of bouncing off each other of ideas and like one thinking that oh I found out this thing that she probably wouldn't know but I'm just you know tell her this and, and then the other one like oh I already knew that and then you add it on to this and so like, each of them are kind of assessing each other and how good each of them are at their jobs um so that's always great and I guess the fact you know I think it was a little bit of a flimsy reasoning how Jacob got Julia assigned as co-lead which I you know first of all Sophie should be lead she has Sophie's been there since day one but um you know Julia can come on as a consultant I guess but since they're co-leaders or whatever I think I think the reasoning of her getting off from MI6 is a little bit flimsy but if the Lucius Fox murder is not tied up, then it's a good way to not only make sure that she's give her a reason to be around um, as leader of this task force, and then also give a reason for her to be around Sophie a lot more. Because it does seem like they're trying to go somewhere with that. And I think that, you know, the, I lost my train of thought. That's okay. Next time. Next time. Let's move on. And then when I come back to whatever that thought was, I'll say it then. But what did not spark joy? <laughs> I feel like there isn't very much that didn't spark joy because I feel like it was a, a pretty good episode. However, if I must come up with something, then I would first say, though know, this isn't the episode's fault specifically, but like we have so little left, so little time left uh, until the end of the season. Uh, because of, you know, COVID reasons. So not getting uh, Sophie and Kate, I'm like, oh, why are we starting up other things? Like first, you know, Sophie and, and, and Julia, which I like, but it's obviously not where I want to go. And then Reagan or Tegan or whatever the hell her name is. I forget what her name is. It's something Egan. <laughs> bartender. It's Reagan, Bartender yeah. girl. <laughs> okay. Coming at the end of the episode, or not the end of the episode, but, but at the previous week. You know what I'm saying. The promo. The promo. <laughs> so I don't like that. But aside from that, also on a general note, like Arkham Asylum, like how? How does it exist in this world? Why can't they just like tear it down and like make a new thing with qualified professionals who are not as insane as Asians um, and actually take care of their society? It makes me mad. So, I mean, I'm just, we'll, see, we'll see what happens with it. But um, whenever I see it, I just have, like, you know, rage blackout. Um, in this episode specifically, why does Jacob King want to blow up his daughter? <laughs> 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 it's, like, twice in one episode that he tried, you know, or not on purpose, obviously. But every time that he's like, let's blow up this place, his, one of his daughters or more is in it. So um, he needs to be stopped. Worst Father of the Year award. But overall, the detonator storyline um, I like how it tied into the Lucas thing, how it was revealed, but it's kind of, I don't know, like, like whenever you have, like, the villain that's like, I want to prove that people are bad, and I'm going to make you, it, it's kind of like the Dark Knight, in the Dark Knight, they did, the Joker did that to people on the boat. Um, but it's like, even if you, let's say you chose to blow yourself up, who's to say that he wouldn't just also blow up the other thing, and then say that you did that, and then you look bad, and also you are dead. So, I don't know. I, I, don't, I don't know why, but it just bothers me because I feel like it's like such a weird concept for someone to have. Like, I know. I'm going to make people realize that there aren't heroes 
by forcing someone to choose between their own life and a random building. So, and of course, this was not that He was a little bit impatient. And like, there's like 20 minutes left. He didn't like, even try. Yes. <laughs> he didn't even try. Anybody else in that building? He could have at least called the cops and told them to like, have them evacuate it. Lord. But yeah. Um, I was, I, I was glad. It was nice to see the other, you know, what happens the second dude they actually work with. <laughs> they actually work with the crows slash the cops or whatever. And obviously Jacob did as well. But, but yeah, overall, I don't, don't find that concept very interesting or realistic, I guess. I don't know that, like, I can't imagine someone really having that, like, that belief. Like, this is going to show people what goodness or altruism really is. Um, and then also, I don't know what, the purpose of doing it that way is if you don't really have that belief. So there you go. That's all. The Joker just did it because he likes to watch the world burn. That's fine. <laughs> so this is the Joker. So there you go. That's all. Yeah, I agree with a lot of that. Um, for me, it was just like there wasn't there wasn't a lot either, but I did think the detonator was kind of like a weak villain overall. Um like, I'm glad we got to see the city, but at the same time, it's just like, mm, I don't know, because it was just kind of some guy blowing up people. Like, I would have liked to have seen more depth in terms of, like, why maybe they were picking, like you said, Jacob or any of the other people. And also, in terms of just continuity, they had Jacob and Kate make the decision to lock Alice up in Arkham but then this episode they don't talk I feel like they just don't talk about it and it's like oh well did we do the right thing in locking Alice up do you think she's getting the help that she needs like none of that comes to the forefront it's just like they forget that she's around whenever she's not in you know trying to kill them or whatever (laughs) so it just feels like again that Jacob and Kate aren't really a family unit at all like there's no connection there they don't really talk about anything Jacob's all about work 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 um so there's definitely a disconnect, and I don't really like it because I, I like to see parent-child relationships blossom on these shows, and it's like we're not getting any of that on Batwoman, and it's really weird uh, since he's around. Um, other things is like, yeah, in, just in general, I feel like we're episode 17, and it's still we still don't really know what the tea party is, like what Alice and Mouse's plans are for Gotham. Yeah. Um, so I feel like that's really stalled since maybe the beginning of, like, right after we came back from Crisis, they brought it up, and then they never really mentioned it much again. So I feel like we don't, like, the season's going and the episodes are good, but the overarching plot is not kind of coming together as well as um, other shows in terms of, like, the tension, the, you know, getting right to it point of the season. Especially since we only have, like, what, two episodes left before we don't see the show again until next season. So it'll probably feel like there's a big gap and we don't really have any of the answers yet. Um, But yeah, those were, those are the big things. It's just like things that have been going ongoing throughout the season for the most part. Yeah. I mean, like you said, it's not exactly Batwoman's fault since they weren't expecting their season to get cut short, but there are some, I think, yeah, we had an Anon that I haven't answered yet, but they were like, you know, I just can't really get into Batwoman because Alice just seems so ridiculous, and I don't really understand. They just keep bringing up the same stuff over and over again, 
And while I, I like Alice as a character, I think she's a really fun character. There is, like you said, that we don't know what their plans are. They've been playing this tea party since episode one, and they keep going off on tangents. And I don't, maybe this is part of the reason why they're crazy. Like, you know, that can be part of it. They're crazy, so they just can't focus on what it is. But, you know, first, Alice wanted to get uh, Kate back, and then it was they're running from Mouse's Mouse daddy, and then, you know, he's dead, but now there's this other person that's randomly coming back to get Alice and we don't know who like who or why she's coming out now and you know now they're in Arkham so let's take over Arkham they don't really have like a solid plan so it's you know as, as interesting and entertaining as she is it would be kind of nice to know what her actual you know, was her actual motivation just let me fake it until I can get Kate to love me, or does she actually have a plan on what she wants to do? Um, this episode in particular, I, you know, I've already talked about fake Batwoman, because I just, like, on the best of days, it's just a dumb idea, especially in Gotham. Like, maybe if you are in Metropolis or somewhere pretending to be a superhero, Central City, you know, you could, you could get off with, like, stopping a light burglary here or there, a bank robbery or something like that. But you're in fucking Gotham. <laughs> and <laughs> I just feel like, you know, you should leave the vigilantism up to the professionals and not run around and <laughs> like your Comic-Con suit of Batwoman pretending to be, you know, the most feared vigilante in Gotham with a huge, you know, number of criminals after you that just does not seem like the great a great idea so i didn't really like her <laughs> um appreciate that she you know she just wants to help you can help and not get confused for batwoman and you can stay alive that way um <laughs> the detonator while interesting like i agree with what you guys said i felt like his motivation on how he picked his target seemed ab- arbitrary and of course like over the course of the episode we learned that it's not even the detonator it's the Crows guy pretending like using the detonator's MO to cover up his tracks. Um, so I guess that's part of the reason why his targets didn't really make sense. But I just like, you know, like you guys said, it just kind of like weakens the overall myth, not mythology, but like philosophy or, or thesis statement that, you know, no, there are no heroes. So it's just kind of, I don't know. Um, and I think, like, I, you know, the the fact that the guy was like, Tommy Elliott wanted Lucius's handbook and Lucius moved, so I shot him. And there's, there's like, a lot of murder to cover up that one murder. <laughs> so, I don't, yeah, I feel like there should be something else to it. I don't know if there will be. Um, if we get, if we get back to the Tommy of it all, if he's just, like, a rich douche that wanted technology and that's why this black man died and I feel like that's just yeah I guess that's the way of the the real world but I don't know it it feels like it should be more complicated than it's turning out to be I agree (laughs) my my useful contribution (laughs) (laughs) and then also just the the preview again of seeing we're, so, we're preemptively yeah. mad at the next episode. It's like, nah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't like that I saw this. I don't need to see I, it. <laughs> I, I, like, I feel like 
why, like, what is, I guess because, you know, they're getting Julia and Sophie together, and so I get, like, Kate has to have some kind of distraction. But the thing is, nothing has changed in the reasons why they stopped seeing each other in the first place. Like, they stopped seeing each other because Kate was like, I'm a liar, and I can't be a liar in a relationship, so I'm just going to pretend like I can't do this. And Tina was like, well, you know what? You're not putting me first, so I'm going to leave. And nothing has changed. Like, Kate's still a liar. Kate stopped seeing Sophie because Sophie was off the line, and she was off the line of Sophie about lying. You know? So <laughs> it's like nothing has changed, and in, in, I don't know if it's just supposed to be, like, a hookup yeah. or – and just yeah. the lack of Sophie and Kate in general, because they've kind of just stepped back yeah, exactly. from that completely. Because they, like, you know, they stopped seeing each other, Sophie and Batwoman. And the, I guess, like, the writers are like, there you go. You have a little Batmore as a treat, and now it's over. That's canceled. And so that's <laughs> then, you know. But, yeah. Do we have any Batwoman feedback, by the way? I don't think so. I think it was Flash Legends. Actually, did Chang send any Batwoman feedback? Let me see. So he says, um, I'm kind of into the Sophie and Julia tag team, but not very into them being more than detective buddies. Mary finally telling Kate she knows the secret. Love the song. I'm not asking you to be a hero. I'm asking you to keep going. Yes, yeah, someone was cutting onions in my face when this scene came on. <laughs> I know. It was really sweet. Um, sure hope Luke goes to therapy soon for this. <laughs> they made Batman a killer. Um I was hoping Crisis Reboot did not make him one. One thing about Batwoman in the comics is that she feels justified to be a killer, and I wish they kept that. Being called a killer already has many layers to it, and I wish they could have explored that. Maybe because it's the CW, they can't make it overly dark in terms of morality, and maybe I'm just asking too much for the writers to create stories relating to the differences of evil and a villain. Um, and then finally, Alice is my favorite murder nugget. I've always loved villains that are just psychopathic. <laughs> Literally, her character caters to me specifically, and the writers gave me rights. <laughs> I'm pretty sure Batwoman won't end <laughs> this season because I feel like uh, a redemption journey could happen somewhere down the road, but I wouldn't mind uh, her being crazy forever either. And there you have it. Do we have any predictions other than, you know, that we hate Tegan or Reagan or whatever her name is? <laughs> we hate her so much we can't remember her name. Arkham as the launch pad for her next, you know, tea party thing, but. Oh, hmm. I like that. Okay. Do we, like, whoever is showing up after her, what's her name, like Sapphire or somebody that's coming after Alice? Do we think that we'll actually see her before the season ends? I don't know. Maybe in the last episode, like a glimpse or something. Yeah. Like setting her up. I think it's interesting that we find out that Tommy Elliott is behind Lucius Fox's murder in the same episode that we find out that Tommy Elliott is batshit crazy in Arkham. Mm -hmm. And Alice is just taking over Arkham. So I feel like at some point, and hopefully the next couple of episodes, Luke and Kate track down Tommy Elliott, find out that he's at Arkham, and then Kate can find out that Alice is actually in control of Arkham, and then that kind of, like, puts them back in the crosshairs of each other. And now Kate has to ask Alice for a favor, which Alice necessarily won't want to grant because Kate is the reason that she's locked in Arkham. But now that she's like a of Arkham, maybe she, I don't know, maybe she'll feel generous, but I, I doubt it. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway. 
That is my prediction for that. Moving on to The Flash. After recent events, a.k.a. Iris learning Italian, crashing a bottle over someone's head, making incredible pancakes, which, you know, she definitely cannot make pancakes. And then finally, <laughs> Barry takes a closer look at his life with Iris and comes up with a host of possibilities from doppelgangers to every man to Martian shapeshifters, which John Jones would have definitely told him there's a Martian shapeshifter, so... Maybe it's something to do with McCullough Technologies. So he goes through all of these hoops to and overwhelms Cecile. Mira Iris feels guilty about hurting Barry and develops Pinocchio syndrome. She just wants to be a real girl. Um, Cecile is feeling very stressed out by this whole single parent thing, trying to play counselor to both Iris and Barry and get these two crazy kids back together. Team Mira siblings, Iris, Camilla, and Singh, after turning the loft into a mirror funhouse, go on a mission to get the last piece for their mother's plan, a.k.a. some blood from Ramsey Rosso, blood work. All of Barry's suspicions lead to a dramatic confrontation with Mirror Iris, which ends in an emotional death for a character that I didn't think I was supposed to care about. But Candace Patton happened, and <laughs> I got sad. Um, Eva makes a bold move by freeing herself from the mirror, only to return to the mirror after yelling at Barry. <laughs> Meanwhile, in a plot that no one seemed to care about, Caitlin has a critical <laughs> cold. Um, her wound from Dr. Light and Sunshine reopens, putting her into an ice coma, and Ralph and Cisco have to use desperate measures to jolt her back to life. Um, Jeff Berg directed the episode, written by Jonathan Butler and Gabriel Garza. So, what sparked joy about this episode? Ooh, so many things. Um, first of all, it was just a well-executed episode. Well-paced. There's action, tension. I was surprised several times when I saw blood work. I was like, oh, Ramsey's back. <laughs> like, I feel like this show hasn't surprised me. Yeah. Yeah. This show hasn't, doesn't really surprise me in the past, but like I found myself this season a couple times, you know, even when like last week Singh was you know, mirror Singh, and I'm like, oh, you too? <laughs> so it's nice to still have those moments where the, the plot can turn on you. You're just like, oh my God, I did not see that coming. Um, so all of that was really great. I think they incorporated blood work back into the storyline really well. Um, and that whole moment with, you know, the mirror people versus him um and then like seeing the differences between camilla being all like no we have to follow mother's orders which was super creepy by the way <laughs> yeah. uh, and oh then, my like, god yeah. sacrificing herself because of the plan whereas we see those little moments with mirror iris suddenly like becoming more and more human like the longer that she's been out of the mirror because she's been out the longest too so it's right. really nice to like have this because and some people got mad about the whole, like, she's 98% Iris, but we sort of knew that from the very beginning because from episode 11, she was effectively like Iris. We couldn't really tell much of a difference except for, like, little things throughout yeah. the several episodes, you know. So, like, there's a slight difference, but she's still a mirror version of her. She's a copy. Um, so you know, all of her thoughts and insecurities and that's why she was able to like dig deep down and really hurt Barry because she knew what would hurt him because she was Iris. So it was really nice to see like this evolution of a very Savitar like story in a way, like it mirrored that storyline um, a bit about, you know, having an evil counterpart who's also just like they had issues deep down. They wanted to exist like outside of what they've been trapped in as another part of 
Iris or Barry, you know? So this was really well done in the sense that, like, finally Iris was really free, and I wasn't really expecting to, like, care for her either, because we're like, damn this woman, you know? She's just been doing whatever, manipulating people, using them, their emotions against them, and here she is, like, wanting to feel alive in her final moments, and it was just really, really heartbreaking, and I loved that whole scene of, like, Barry trying to appeal to her, uh, humanity and like what she wanted and not to be like Iris but to be her own person and I thought that was really well done because it's like even though they're on opposite sides of the mirror like you see Iris trying to distract Ava because she knows that that was going to affect mirror Iris um, and then Barry taking using that to his advantage in that moment before she she died was really 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 good um, and just like all the Finally, like, Iris in the Mirrorverse was finding things out about Ava. She was finally, like, taking a little bit more charge um, and taking thing, matters into her own, own her own hands. So all of that stuff was, like, really, really great. And then, um, I mean, I don't even know what to say. Like, it's just a brilliant episode. It had me at the edge of my seat. I thought the whole fight scene was so well done. Like, we so... so so good like the choreography the the mirrors like up top was really creepy you and the what? fact that they used that to their how did they get all these mirrors in here i forgot about that scene with the three of the three mirror siblings i saw that they were putting up mirrors everywhere but i didn't recognize it was a loft until later when the guys in the fight scene like where are all these mirrors come from? <laughs> yeah <laughs> that was just like really well done it was like probably one of the best fight scenes on the show ever yeah. um yeah. and i love that because we never we'll never get to see, you know, Barry and Iris physically fight. Like this is the only way that this would have made sense. And I love that we got that. Um and then like Mirror Iris taunting Barry, um just the whole thing of him trying to figure out like him spending a week not talking to Iris and he's like, Oh, this poor boy, but he's just like, I've been trying to gather evidence so that he won't think I'm crazy. <laughs> um but, you know, Cecile, I love that Cecile went with it anyway, but I love that he had, like, his whole board out. He was just jotting things down. He looked, like, a little wild, like he hadn't gotten any sleep, and he was just so focused on getting his wife through the entire episode. It was constantly, where's Iris? Where's my wife? Over and over and over again. And you see that, like, repetitively on the board, too. Like, I will find her several times over. Um, and then kind of putting all the clues together and tracking her GPS to McCulloch Industries and whatever. So all of that stuff was really, really well done. It's like a big light bulb went off in his head, and it was just beautiful. <laughs> like, finally, we're all on the same page, Barry. <laughs> um, and then, of course, like, the emotional scene at the end. It was hands down one of the most memorable West Allen scenes, one of the most emotional that I've ever had. And just like a reminder that just like, this is the golden ship. Yes, it is. <laughs> um, and yeah. So both great emotional performances from both Grand Candace. And it was just like, you felt like you just wanted to reach through the TV and hug them both because, you know, push the together, like, yeah, push the mirrors together. <laughs> um, it, was, it was a really great moment because like you, had that connection you had the across dimensions across time love they have for each other the song and playing in the background it all just really worked to have like a visceral moment between the two of them and it was just all so fantastic to watch and i'm still not over it like i was just after the episode ended i was like i don't even know why i'm still here 
I'm just going to rewatch the shit. <laughs> um, so yeah. And like Ava finally escaping the mirror, um, was just really good. It's just like, stand down, Barry. Like, I won't really hurt you if you just let me go murder my husband. It's cool. It's fine. It's whatever. <laughs> so all of that was good. And even like the twist in Star Labs when Barry had the whole plan to, you know, out Mirror Iris, but then she turned it on him and was just like, you are the man who needs to be handcuffed right now. <laughs> but also that it sort of explained, like, because she still had, like, Mirror Iris still had feelings why Cecile wasn't necessarily able to like suspect much out of her over the last few episodes i'm like oh thank god that was answered otherwise it would have been like a major plot hole um so yeah it was just like a really phenomenal episode and a powerhouse performance by candace Patton playing both you know iris and mirror iris grand delivered too it was just a really impactful episode i think that is one of the best of the series Um, I, I also think that it is a testament to how differently uh, writers can uh, produce, or the ma- different material the writers produce, given what they're working with. Because Gabriel Garza and Jonathan Butler are the, the duo that people like to call the Nickelodeon writers. Um, because half the time they think <laughs> that their episodes are absolute garbage, and yet the other half, we get episodes like this. So, good job them. Um, <laughs> but also, um, the performances were excellent, as has already been established. Give Candace all the awards. Uh, she did so great with, like, every aspect. With real Iris in the mirror, with mirror Iris in the real world, with mirror Iris gaslighting Barry, with mirror Iris being a real girl, and also with mirror Iris trying to murder Barry. So, just all, uh, wonderful work. Um, even, like, the final scene, which was so excellently done, where they're in, you know, parallel worlds trying to reach each other, I would never have imagined that they weren't actually filmed together. You know, like, that they didn't have each other there. Like, Candace said that they were, like, filmed on, like, different days or different times in the day or whatever. And that she felt like she, you know, like, oh, we didn't get it, we didn't get it. Because <laughs> she didn't know how to conjure up the emotion of Barry being there. Um, and yet, she did it wonderfully. I would never have guessed that she was struggling with that. Um, and Grant as well, like, from from having his little conspiracy theory uh, whiteboard to actually, you know, desperately begging Mirror Iris slash Eva to tell him where his wife is, uh, he did a really good job in this episode. And you really got to feel the connection of Barry and Iris, which maybe was waning in the last few weeks because they were having him continue to fake, be married to a fake Iris. So I'm glad we're back on track with that. Uh, West Allen, Golden Standard, as you said, OTP to end all OTPs. Cannot wait for the next two episodes in which we will not get Iris out. They but really are. Okay. Like, what ship is doing <laughs> this ship? Come on, guys. That's true. That's true. No one, no one does it like West Allen. Goodness. Thank goodness that they are here to save us. Um, but yeah, I really, li- I really liked that Barry was spending so much time trying to figure it out and that he gave us all his you know, connections from the most ridiculous, like, the pancakes, to then actually, like, oh, hey, that's maybe a good point. Like, it actually takes a while to learn Italian. How did she learn Italian randomly? <laughs> um, so, yeah. And I liked, I loved how Mirror Iris, well, and with Eva's help, but still, you know, gaslighting. 
anything that turns around and made everyone think that it was him. And even though, like, that he was the one that was actually the bad guy or the imposter or whatever, because as much as we have wanted him to figure it out for the last two months or whatever, it would be very ridiculous for someone to just believe you when you say that your wife has been replaced <laughs> by a reflection from the Mirrorverse. Like, that seems <laughs> that's a bit, quite a stretch. So I understand that it took um, people a while to figure it out. And like you said, this was a good use of Cecil. Cecil. Of Cecil's Cecil power. Not only did I, you know, like that we actually finally got to see her try her emotion detector on Iris, but also that she was genuinely concerned about the state of Barry and Iris's marriage. And that she was acting like the mother figure in that situation. And, you know, in the absence of Joe, she was there to kind of give them advice and try to push them back together. Also, I just loved that Barry was staying at her house, like, with Joe's not there, but Barry's at his mother-in-law's house. <laughs> very, very funny to me. And then when she came home and, like, everything was, like, the box boxes and everything was, like, all over the floor, and she's like, what have you done to my home? Um, <laughs> that was really funny. Um, also, I, I like that we finally got to see, um, Mirror Iris with Mirror Camilla and Mirror Sting all working together for their mother, which was, as you said, very creepy, but did give you this, like, hive mind, like, it definitely drove home how they were this, um, unit with no autonomy. And then there's Iris, right? Right. Who, for, for whatever reason, is different. Like, she's never called Eva Mother, <laughs> for one. <laughs> They're calling Eva Mother, and she's like, oh, okay. Um, and also, like, she hesitates and she questions when there's plans and when there's situations, and whether that's because the others are just, like, sitting in their rooms not doing anything when they're not being called upon to act certain events, or if it's just because Iris is just by nature a rebellious person, so a reflection of her is also by nature rebellious, maybe? I don't know. Much to think about. But either way, I like, I like it was one. interesting. Yes, yeah, it <laughs> <Thank> you. <laughs> um, but either way, it was nice to see her kind of react to them, and also especially, like, when Camilla sacrificed herself, and saying is like, well, duh. Um, <laughs> and Iris is like, but no, I don't like that. <laughs> that doesn't sound like a good plan. So, um, so yeah, poor, poor Mira Camilla. I feel bad for her. Um, speaking of, I also like that we got to see a semblance of the, like, I know they've, like, done stuff, like, oh, we have to get this little particle or whatever, and then it turned out this thing was the one they gave it to them, which was a cool retro-retroactive reveal, but I like that this is us finally getting to see them, like, enact their plan, and it actually turned this episode, right? Eva's finally out of the mirror, so now we, we have a more, a better sense of where we're going with that storyline. Also, hello, um, Bloodwork. Looking very sexy in jail. Great job. He's so attractive. Glad to see his face. Also, I liked how they put in, like, a little teaser, if you will, for his potential return, right? Or a potential plan that he has when he does return. When he's like, oh, no, I'm just going to stay in this cell because I'm playing the long game. I won't tell you what the long game is, but <laughs> when no, I'm, I'm done. When <laughs> I play it, you will know. <laughs> so that was like, oh, that's a cool way to, like, you know, bring him back in, in the future. So, yeah, like that. Um, the fight scene, of course, was amazing. 
and hilarious. I laughed at the Terminator 2 Blades of Mirror. Um, and also, I love getting to see uh, Grant and Candace's stunt doubles do their thing. Great job, whatever your names are. Excellent work. Um, but you also got to feel um, a real sense of tension, which you don't usually get from fight sequences on the Flash, because you know that none of these heroes are going to die, eh? And also, like, the Flash is basically invulnerable, so um, you're not really that concerned. But this time, Barry's at his most vulnerable, right? He barely has any speed, and he definitely is not, what's the word, when you're healing fast? Whatever. He's not healing quickly. So, uh, <laughs> Regenerating? Right. I don't feel like that's right. Regenerating. Yeah. So, so like when he falls through, you know, the grass and whatever, like that's like, ow, I was actually in pain for him. Um, so yeah, great job with that. And also Iris, this is, you know, Iris having to watch that. Lots of emotions, my feelings, and her feelings. And then she, Mira Iris was super creepy when she was like, oh, you know, you're, you keep asking about your wife, but I've been your wife for these last however long. And I actually, I actually laughed when she started off, and she was like, um, eating breakfast together, talking about our days. And I was like, what kind of euphemisms are these? And then she was like, staring at our Okay. That was for the purpose. That was for they are people who have sex. Um, so anyway. Um, that was uh, um, that was uh, you know gross, but also necessary. So cool. And also, that was like I a also like an emotional attack. Like, yeah, it was great yeah, for sure. It was it was great. It was like not horrible, but it was great. <laughs> <laughs> so, <yeah. laughs> um, I think that that is everything else. I'll just be like repeating everything that May said. So it's pretty much it was a really good episode. Lots of great content for Iris for with Ellen. Um, lots of great crazy Barry. And now the mirror storyline is finally heading in an interesting direction. So, yes. All right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, this, I watched this episode again afterwards and I just felt like I couldn't like process it. I was like, it was so much emotion. So like, I cannot process right now. So I had to like go back and, and like rewatch it. Um, obviously like Barry's conspiracy theory board. And the scene of him, just like the scene of him overwhelming, overloading Cecile, which I know Grant said, you know, it was a funny scene and it was really great to play. And to see it play out is like, yeah, it is actually kind of like hilarious. All the reasons why, like, Iris is an Iris learning Italian. <laughs> He's like, how, like, I, I like that he actually like calculated this out. Like, how much does it take? Three to six months? You know, average a year. <laughs> you know? Um, so all of that was just really, just like the details. The fact that Cecile, like, couldn't get into her house, I'm wondering, like, how, how did she not notice all these boxes before? Did he bring them all over today? Like, you know, what is going on here? Like, why does he need, like, years worth of, like, CSI, like, documents to, to figure out why Iris is not Iris? Um, so just, like, visually even, you know, with his conspiracy board and his, like, boxes everywhere, it's just, like, a really funny scene. Um Candace's acting as uh, and Mira Iris's evolution was definitely a highlight of the episode. I had a feeling like, I feel like we talked about this before. Like I had a feeling from the beginning that Mira Iris was, you know, some basically like you know how Eric said it was like ninety eight percent Iris, which I think you know that's what we were picking up on from the beginning. 
um, I remember at some point I was like, maybe Mirror Iris, and she is a reflection. Maybe she has some of the traits or like insecurities that real Iris wishes she could do. For example, like making incredible pancakes or um, being able to be reckless and smashing a bottle over some guy's head. You know, the, and I feel like the way that she is able to fight with Barry using stuff that is from real Iris, like in 611, all the argument that she used to distract him from noticing that she was off was all things that could have been said by the real Iris. And I remember I mentioned last week that that's kind of why I didn't like the, the loft fight. Cause I felt like that was more of a stretch, but it is still, you know, it was still pulling off of something like them talking about Barry going off and doing things on his own without consulting her and, you know, things like that. So seeing like her performance, how it has evolved, her being able to be so good as Iris that even we're confused to like walk the line just enough that we, to know that we don't trust her. The audience doesn't trust her. But you can also see why it took so long for the rest of the team to catch on because every time they caught on to something, she had like an excuse or a pivot um, to kind of throw them off. And then like when Eva asked Iris to drain Barry's speed in the previous episode, we sensed like there was a hesitation there. Like, okay, like do, do I really have to do this? Like, does she actually care about Barry? You know? So there were, like, little hints and things there in previous episodes. So in this episode, they expanded on it by showing her, like, hesitate some more, feel kind of bad about hurting Barry's feelings, question what exactly it is that she wanted. And it's, like, three times in this episode, Mira Iris is confronted with that question. Like, once by Cecile, like, what do you want? And then by Ramsey, like, what do you want? And, you know, finally leading up to the climax of Barry, like, what do you want? Like, what do you want to do? Who do you want to be? Um, so I think that they laid the groundwork for it well to the point that I was actually like emo when she does die, like when she does like, you know, say like, I want to be real. I want to choose myself. I thought that was a really well done scene. Candace died beautifully in that scene. Um, she is a beautiful <laughs> dyer. She, she is a beautiful dyer. Um, I love the mirror fight sequence. I thought it was a great choreography and these special effects on the mirrors. Like, actually, when I was thinking in my head when Candace said that she did have a fight sequence, I thought it was going to be between Grant and Candace. Um, but I was expecting, like, a boxing match since Iris is, like, super good at boxing. And so it would be, like, a parallel to when they're, like, little kids. Uh, but this is great. Like, the, the, and the use of the mirrors, um, you know, putting it in one mirror and having it come out another mirror and, like, the you know, how do they got the mirror on the ceiling? I have no idea. <laughs> but the mirror falling down from the ceiling, and I think that was, like, really, like, some of the best fight sequence choreography that we've seen on this show. Um, I loved Mirror Iris taunting Barry about how it's been her. I was like, it wasn't her, it was me. Like, Candace was great in that scene. <laughs> and I feel like when she's, like, you know, sharing your bed, and, like, he, like, the only thing that he could say is, like, shut up. <laughs> it was such a weak rebuttal. <laughs> it makes you feel like, like, he knew the sex was getting different and just didn't want to say about it. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> I also feel like Mira Iris is a top, like, definitely like, an aggressive top, which maybe, you know, if we go back to the, the discourse of whether 
Iris is a bottom or a top. I have to, like, realize Iris might be a bottom and then, like, mirror Iris is top. So, if anyone wants to chime in on that. <laughs> but, anywho, um, I feel like Eric can formulate in that mirror Iris is only 2% Eva puppet. Um, does make it, like you said, make it like a Savitar situation where it's mirror Iris is Iris, but not Iris. Um, so it's not like an Earth 2 situation where you have Earth 1 Barry pretending to be married to Earth 2 Iris. So it's, those are two different berries with two different histories. But this is like Savitar is Barry demented and mirror Iris is Iris, but a puppet kind of. So, um, I feel like it's kind of interesting in that way that the both Barry and Iris have been like stress tested and extreme with extreme like anti versions of themselves. And they've been able to come out of the other side of it. Um, Mirror siblings, Iris, Camilla, and Singh. There's definitely, like, the rank order between them with Iris at the top, and Camilla is her, like, number two. Um, I feel like Mirror Iris and Mirror Camilla really developed, like, I I guess sisterhood in their short time together. So I liked when Cecile went to visit Iris to talk about Barry, and Camilla was, like, smirking in the background. (laughs) And But then when, like, Iris started to, like, waver – and be like, tell me, Cecile, what do I really want? And so it was like Camilla had to kind of step in, cover for her, like get it together, girl. Um, not also like when she hesitated when Camilla was ready to sacrifice herself for mother's will because it just showed that the bond that they were able to develop in such a short time. Um, and also, you know, like Iris's, Mirror Iris's like humanity starting to come out more and more. And I do think it's because she's been out like the longest. And then I feel like she's had like the most works to do like she's Eva's number one she's been out the longest and she's had to she's had to like eat meals with Barry and she talk about their day and you know you know how Barry is and so because she is part of Iris that has to have affect her to some degree um blood work Sunil's beautiful face is back on my screen and we got to um, see him twice this week because of never have I yes, ever yes <laughs> Binge watch Never Have I Ever. It's such a good show, and it's funny. Um, and if you love Sin Hill's face, and you get to see it more in that um, show. So please do that. Um, but anyway, back to The Flash. I feel like the fact that he chose not to escape, rather play the long game, really sets up a lot of interesting possibilities for him coming back in the future. Um, I feel like Eric has done a really good job of developing, like, repeat villains instead of one and dones because I feel like in the earlier seasons of Flash, a lot of the villains are, like, one and done. Um, so being able to get Ragdoll multiple times, having blood work being set up to be back multiple times, Godspeed is, you know, coming into play again. I feel like that's a good way to kind of flesh out the rogues gallery. Um, you know, although it has been too many episodes about Dr. Light, and I want her back because she was only in, like, the first episode post-crisis and I feel like she could do more so there um the final West Allen scene of Barry and Iris talking to the mirror and describing how their love for each other is constant and transcends dimensions in time I really feel sorry for people who still think that the show could possibly realistically break up West Allen and have Barry fall in love with someone else because like that's not gonna like who is doing it like West Allen no one period period no is one. you're at a table like it is just there's no comparison ever at all um so I I mean I feel sorry for you not really but you know (laughs) 
it's not going to happen. Um, the fight scene, from the fight scene when Barry confronts Iris in the loft to the end where he's talking, they're talking to each other through the mirror, it was just so emotionally powerful that I literally could not even concentrate on Legends. <laughs> like, why would you do this to Legends? Like, why would you have Legends follow this? Like, I cannot, <laughs> I cannot focus right now. <laughs> could you not move Legends to Monday so they can have their own day? What's Alan just wrecked me? I need an emotional break <laughs> and compromise at the moment. Um, yeah, that was, it was a really strong ending to the episode. So, <sighs> yeah. But, is there anything that possibly could not spark joy for you in this episode? Such a strong episode. It's got a lot of accolades from the media and everything, but is there anything in here that... The only thing I will say that did not really spark joy, or I was mostly just confused, was like Caitlin just showing up back on my screen. I'm like, wait, <laughs> because I thought, because we thought last week that, you know, Danielle had gone on her maternity leave at this point. And we're like, oh, I guess they're not going to exit her from the show. But I guess we got our answer this week that they are planning on, like, exiting her out of a, you know, with with a, some sort of storyline to give a reason as to why she won't be around. But it just felt like it was somewhat out of nowhere. It's like I had to recall what happened before, like, several episodes before when she got, like, shot or whatever. I'm like, oh, right, that did happen. And... As soon as they said that they have to, like, take her to her mother, I was like, oh, God, not again. Not the Snow family drama again. Um, so I was not really thrilled about that because I felt it was a really weak plot in terms of, like, there was no lead up. It just felt out of nowhere. They just needed to uh, exit her out. But there was no real reason, like – you know, they're going to spend time explaining it maybe later on or maybe next week. They're just going to be like, oh, yeah, we already sent her to her mom and she won't be around. I don't know. But it just felt like completely out of place in this episode. And I don't know why they didn't just put it in last week's episode if this was going to be the case. Like if they're just going to give her two scenes where Cisco and Ralph are going to check on her. I don't know why it had to be in this such like such a solid episode and such an emotional episode um, because it felt jarring. And then I had to come back and I feel like because it made me dislike it. You know, like, I don't understand. It could have been in last week's episode. It made no sense. It sort of ruined a little bit of the flow. Like, you could take those scenes out of the episode completely and it'll still work, you know, because those that storyline is completely separate from everything that's going on um, in the rest of the episode. So it just, yeah, it was a bit jarring and didn't need to be there or they could have led up to it better for it to have not come out of nowhere. And it just like, I don't know. I forgot that it existed until you reminded me that, that you know, Caitlin was in a snow coma. I don't know what was happening. <laughs> snow cone. Snow cone? <laughs> but yeah. <laughs> Is that all your dislikes? Yes. I mean, that's the uh, only starting- thing. <laughs> Starting with the Caitlyn thing, um, I do think that it would have made more sense in the previous episode, especially because, like, I was surprised to see Cisco and Ralph at it again when they when they went into Caitlyn's, you know, apartment or house or whatever it was, because they had just had their little, like, team up to find Sue in the previous episode. So I feel like it was, like, filmed at that time, 
you know, because you don't usually have the same team up two episodes in a row, especially for an entirely different thing and not a continuation of the same thing. So I thought that was a little bit weird. It seemed like it belonged. And, like, they could have had a conversation. Like, so. Who else would he have gone with to go check on Caitlin? Well, that could have been Nash's participation in the episode when he shows up once an episode, which is also going to be another one of my dislikes. To be like, I am here. Please pay me. Where is Alexa? Is she a this is distrusting Barry. Oh, yeah, Barry. Barry hates different than Nash distrusting. Who cares what Nash thinks, right? It'd be much cooler if it was Cisco there with Cecile and with Mira and et cetera. Um, so, yeah, I don't think that that needs to be in some sort of, I think that, especially because it was such a big deal for Mira and Aris, I think that Ralph and Cisco should have been in the, um, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. They should have been in the in Star, Star, Star Labs Cortex, anywhere, anywhere with that story, in Star Labs as part of that storyline, commenting on the Barry and Iris situation. So, so yeah. And then the other one is just, Nash, just, just let him go. Just let him go. Just let Tom Cavanaugh go with yeah. his family. And Why? I could buy it if it was just like Ralph who went to check on Caitlin and then Cisco, like you said, was, was in Star Labs. Like, they didn't need two characters doing that. I don't know if they buy it because, like, if Ralph goes and checks on Caitlin and she is bottoming out in an ice coma, like, what is Ralph going to do? <laughs> like, well, what he did do, which was electrocute her, he wouldn't have to call somebody to be like, Caitlin is in trouble. What do I do? And then Cisco would have had to gone over there. Anyway. It's not that I think that they should have had two different people doing it or a different person doing it or that no one should have a It's just that I feel like it would have made more sense, like, coming back from or even on their way to see Sue, you know? Like, one or the other. Like, talk about they're together, talk about Sue's situation. Oh, okay, let me must help you. Because only, like, one scene, like, mm, could have been, like, the, the ending of the previous episode. Since last week we were like, why is no one even mentioning what Caitlin's doing? I had no idea that Caitlin was sick. And when she was like, they're like, from the fight with sunshine. I was like, oh, that's right. What the fuck was that? The fight with sunshine. I even remember that. Um, so yeah. This is partially because of the hiatus, but I don't know. Because it was given up a line about it last Anyway, aside from that, I do think that it is unfortunate that, uh, Joe went into witness protection the week before his daughter was revealed to not be his daughter, because again, that would have been something that maybe he would like to know. So, uh, I don't know. Timing-wise, everything's a little bit odd. It feels like, I really love the core story of Simpson. I thought it was very strong. But this season, The Flash has been kind of really weird about who is in what episode for what reason. Basically. <laughs> so, that's all. And I will just say that overall, I do think the mayor storyline would have been a much stronger one for all the episodes. Because I do think 6B has been, like, A, an improvement, like an improvement on 6A, and mostly solid. But the mirror storyline has been a big frustration because we don't get to see the mirror world. We don't know any of the mirror world, just this one room. Now we finally learned there's maybe two rooms. So that's excellent. And then Eva said, she did confirm, that uh, Sting and Camilla are also in the mirror world somewhere in their own little rooms. So wouldn't it be nice if we actually got to see the mirror world, if we had a parallel storyline going on in the mirror world with the three real people trying to figure something out while the three fake people are figuring something out? I don't know. Wouldn't it be nice if we had specific goals 
of what each side wants. What does Eva want? What does Black Hole want? All I know is that Eva doesn't want what Joseph Carver wants. I don't know what either of them wants. So, um, yeah. <laughs> 611 was amazing. And 618, which, no, 617, 617 was amazing. But in between, it was like solid episodes that could have been amazing if the mirror storyline meant any dances. All right. Now I'm done. Yeah, I think I would agree with that. I feel like as interesting as the mirror storyline in Black Hole is, we still don't know, first of all, what the fuck Joseph Carver wants. Because, like, last episode, we got the confrontation between Eva and her husband. Like, I, she's like, I have thoughts to change the world. He's like, well, I do too. And I'm just stealing your thoughts to make my thoughts happen. But we don't know what his thoughts are. <laughs> like, what does he have on all of these people all these metas that he's, like, captured in Black Hole and getting them to do what he wants, well, he just says, like, you know, jump, and they're like, how high? I'm like, what do you have on them? What, do, what does he have on Sue's parents? Like, why is he extorting them for money? Like, what is the purpose of Black Hole? No one knows yet, and I feel like, you know, it'd be nice to know what exactly Eva's trying to stop, and if she even cares about, you know, what he's actually doing, more than the fact that she cares that he's the one that's doing it. So, <laughs> I feel like that's, uh, you know, they could have expanded, that. that is something I think that they could have expanded on a lot more, not just, like, the Mirrorverse universe and seeing what else is in there besides that one room that Iris is locked in, but also just getting a look at actual Black Hole and what they're actually doing would be nice. Um, in this episode specifically, I feel like it's hard to kind of nitpick this episode because it is so strong. Um, so this isn't really as much as, like, not spark joy as it's just kind of, like, apathetic about it. Um, but like you guys said, like, Caitlin's side plot is just so out of left field and random that it kind of took you out of the episode. Like, of course, I understand, like, there needs to be a break from the main storyline. You need to have, like, a side B plot. But I feel like this could have been set up a little bit better. It would have made more sense in last week's episode, um, just because I, you would it's closer, to, I guess, if you want to put it in last week's episode, that's the episode that's closer to Sunshine Fight than this one. But I feel like her, I remember, like, last week wondering, like, where is she? Why isn't she in this episode at all? And because we thought it was going to be her last episode, the fact that she wasn't in it at all, and there was no explanation as to where she was, I'm like, well, that's weird. Um, so to have her in this episode, and the reason for her being out, being from previous episodes ago um pretty pandemic crisis um it just kind of feels like i went from an emotionally heavy storyline you want me to concentrate on this i can't concentrate on that you know um yeah it it just seemed kind of really random and weird um like zeros or 100 and i would have rather have it squeezed into last week and have ralph maybe investigate the diamond that he got from Sue this week, since we know that that's connected to Black Hole. That would have been, you know, at least those two storylines with West Allen on one hand and Ralph on the other, they would have been heading towards the same direction because they're both kind of Mirrorverse Black Hole related instead of having Caitlin randomly needing to, almost dying and then needing to go somewhere again off screen. Um, And I guess um, Grant also confirmed to Entertainment Weekly that because of Danielle's maternity leave, they kind of sped up her 
filming. So they, she, maybe she has uh, another small scene in episode 18 or I don't know if it's all the way up through 19, but um, to kind of help set up her departure. Um, but this one just seemed like a weird place to start it. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, I think that's it. Feedback. I know you have a lot of it. Where Indeed we, we do. We are starting with Sheena. So Sheena says that the grandest effect is real and it should be trademarked. Whether they are given crumbs or a whole freaking loaf, they sell their scenes together. What a feast. Love that we got CSI Barry with his crime board. Love that he even researched how long it would take to learn Italian. Our man was leaving no stone unturned. Once he was sure that wasn't his iris, there was no stopping him. Fun interaction with Cecile, by the way. I love the scene in the lab when they tried to outmere Iris and she she flipped it on Barry, even using his line about fighting for their marriage. I love that she told him she forgives him no matter what. She's so diabolical, and I love it. The fight scene was amazing. Love the visual effects, and I love that Barry didn't back down even when he was beaten. He kept asking for Iris. Um, love the team up between Barry and real Iris. Uh, Iris using Eva's connection to Mirror Iris to distract her, and then Barry picking up on that and appealing to Mirror Iris's heart. I love that we saw Mirror Iris having doubts and wanting to be alive. Further proof that West Allen's love is so powerful, it thaws the coldest of hearts. Thank you, Sheena, for your lovely feedback. And we have Paulina. Paulina has a lot of thoughts, so I will get through some of them, and then the rest will be posted to our Tumblr. Um, she says she debated when I ought to send my feedback, mainly because my thoughts about liberation are still pretty incoherent, but then I thought stream of consciousness is probably more fun than coherency. <laughs> That's very true. <laughs> um, so first of all, give Candace Pan her coins, give her accolades, give her the Emmys, the Golden Glows, show-stoppingly brilliant. Um, this episode is an all-time favorite in the Flash's history, and let me really uh, bask in enjoying this, because I'm sure we'll be back to the usual... Did you say base? Bask. Bask. <laughs> Indeed. My mess up. You can edit me out. I can read that. Aww. I love how you casually mispronounce words sometimes. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> My reading comprehension is terrible, apparently. <laughs> hey, episode, when I was little, I used to call pavilions pavilions because I just thought it was another L and not an I. So. Aww, that's cute. <laughs> Uh, this episode is an all-time favorite in the Flash's history, and let me really bask in enjoying this, because I'm sure we'll be back to the usual regularly scheduled mediocrity in the final two episodes. <laughs> um, I don't even know where to start. Let's start with Barry and his board of conspiracy theories and him rambling to Cecile. Grant was really great in this scene. I'm glad Barry was figuring this out by himself in the West household and not with the entirety of Team Flash breathing down his neck. Um, some hits from the board. Barry really was calculating the amount of strength, of strength someone must have to swing and break a bottle of wine over someone's head. The pancakes, Iris doesn't make pancakes, might be the best one-liner of the episode. Um, Barry trying to determine how long it takes someone to learn Italian, but the fact that he wrote, I will find her several times, broke my heart. He was really going through it. Um, Mira Iris' Pinocchio-esque storyline was actually quite interesting to me, but I definitely wish he'd spent, we'd spent a bit more time building to it. It's not so much an issue that the show has so many episodes, more so that they waste their episode, that they waste their episode count on extraneous uh, material rather than the storylines they've got going. For example, we should have seen more hints of Mira Iris adjusting to the real world and realizing she wants to have her own life prior to the episode. Candace did such an amazing job portraying Mira Iris' struggle and finally 
her breaking through Ava's control. The scene where Barry appeals to self-love and that vein is popping in Mira Iris's head and she's in pain as she chooses herself and a single tear returns and then she shatters in Barry's arms. That scene was so powerful and moving because of how wonderfully gifted Candace is as an actress. Um, Nash is truly useless. <laughs> what was his purpose in this episode? Nothing. He was so not needed. What was the guy supposed to do? <laughs> <laughs> he was just had, like putting it in front of everybody's faces. Like, don't do that. Like, I, yeah. don't know. I think it would have also worked if they had brought back the Eternium thing. Like, if he had, you know, I don't know. Oh, I scanned, scanned her or whatever, and she had none. I don't know. Figure it out. <laughs> then the Caitlyn Seapot was pretty dumb. I'm not going to lie. At least it took up barely three minutes of screen time. The show constantly manages to rehash the same storylines with her, family drama, her powers, because she doesn't exactly inspire creative storytelling. Now what? Are we going to have to watch one or two Caitlyn season 618 and 619 with her mother just to give Caitlyn some semblance of screen time? All right, then. <laughs> Thank you so much, Paulina. Then we have a need vacation. Let's see. All right. Brava to Candace Patton in this episode. If Barry carried the emotional weight last week of trying and failing to protect his family, then Candace's double duty in Mirror Iris uh, and herself trapped in the mirror dimension really paid off. To be honest, I never hated Mirror Iris because there were times when the real Iris pieces of her the real Iris pieces of her told Barry the absolute grown-up truth that any woman who just completed an emotional growth spurt would tell her husband. But that fight scene, those last moments cracking up and disintegrating in Barry's arms, whoo boy, these actors really know how to bring the chemistry even when one is a possessed version trying to destroy the other. Um, it was a repeat of the acting witchcraft they work with Sab- Savatiris, Savatris, Savatar and Iris, that's what you wrote. (laughs) Um, But seriousness aside for a second, can Iris just go back to cooking again? Remember 11-year-old Iris who made Barry's favorite version of mac and cheese? Aww. Um, What 11-year-old has her own recipe for anything other than princess candy toast? And you mean to tell me that the Iris who threw lavish in her party? She probably put like noodles and milk and cheese and put it in the microwave. (laughs) I doubt it was that complicated. That's that's true. That's true. She just wants more because, like, her mom left her her tent when she was 10. My husband disappeared for long stretches twice and been incarcerated, but yet still I can't boil water. <laughs> like, she can't make toast. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah, that is a point of – that is an issue for Anita. Sorry, Anita. <laughs> then we have Suara. Last but not least, he says, yes, 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 this episode of The Flash was everything. Candace absolutely killed it as both irises, astounding, remarkable, and exemplary. Grant was amazing, too, finally realizing the truth and resolving to find the real iris. Mirror Iris and Barry's fight at the end was amazing, and I love the mirror blades she had. It was such a cool effect. Iris finding out the truth about Ava was great, too, even when she was captured by the villain. Honestly, going for Ava's underbelly on her feelings about her husband and helping Barry in the process in his fight was fantastic, too. Like, just because your husband doesn't care about you doesn't mean my husband care about me. You know? <laughs> yeah. I, I think it's always constantly hilarious because this is the second uh, villain couple that we've had on the show. And the comparisons, like, to West Allen are pretty funny because, like, you can't compare yourself. You can try, but you will fail. That's why you guys suck. <laughs> um, let's see. I love what sounds so much, and I pray that they keep up the energy for the next two episodes. Didn't care much for the uh, cut scene of sleeping ripoff of sleeping ripoff Elsa, though. <laughs> oh well, some blemishes are unavoidable. <laughs> I feel like they should dirty in this episode for real, though. Like they should have put it in a different episode. Yeah, yeah. because he 
clearly forgot that every everything I read like clearly forgot that she was even in the episode. Right. Or they could have pushed, they could have moved it back to 16 or since that was kind of crowded, pushed it up to 18 and just like had a longer plot there. But yeah. And that is all for feedback. Oh, well. All right. Predictions. Do we have any? That Iris will be out and I want a hell of a reunion, but that's not a prediction. That is my hope. <laughs> I don't, but yeah. we know it's not even going to happen in, in before this finale because in 619, she's still in the mirror. Still is, but I think she'll be out then because um, there was one interview. I can't remember who or what uh, outlet it was for, but basically that their connection will play a role in getting her out somehow. So I assume, like, she will be out at least by the end of the episode. Right. Well, okay, so my prediction would be that Barry uses the very last of his speed to help Iris get out, right? Mm-hmm. And also Iris will save Camilla and Sting. And then the next few episodes that we won't get to see would be about getting Barry his feedback while yeah. the fight with Black Hole is coming. Interesting. Do you have any thoughts? Like, I think, May, was it you that found, uh, was it Lost in the Speed Force or someone on, on Tumblr that was thinking that Pipe Piper might have something to do with? Oh, yeah. I think it was Cheryl Blossom's oh, okay. um, theory that, basically Pied Piper's powers will or like Barry will appeal to Pied Piper like he'll go to him to get some help trying to get Iris out because of his some something about his powers uh having to do with being able to do you know fix the mirror or somehow get her out of the mirror just like they kind of use Bloodworks powers to get Ava out this is interesting and I I thought it was I thought someone mentioned it in their feedback so maybe I wasn't paying attention but um I feel like someone was talking about the blood work had you know he gave Iris some of his blood and she used it to splash on the mirror but she didn't use all of it like there's still some left in the bottle and so like oh is there yeah there was some left in the bottle like she she splashed it and the rest was still in the container like on the chessboard but then, like, Barry, and, like, this is, like, a really bu- brutal fight because, like, she's, like, stabbing him several times. That one, like, when it's falling from, like, the sky and she stabs him with both of her arms mm-hmm. and inside, and, like, something punctured. He should have died. But, like, a couple hours later, he wakes up and he's, like, completely healed. Like, is that his speed that did that? Or maybe some of, as part of, like, Ramsey's long game, some of Ramsey's blood till. Hillberry, that could be like a prediction. Oh, that would be really interesting. Um, and then also, I was thinking about Godspeed. Nine, like several episodes ago, when he first showed up, and we were talking about like what he could be doing because um, they were like fake Godspeeds. And I think that that is still maybe if he's coming back this episode, we'll get a hint of that connected to Black Hole somewhere. Like, Black Hole is trying to create their own speed force and their own speedster, and that's what Godspeed is. So maybe we'll get some of that in episode 18. Yeah. And we know in episode 22, at least based on, like, Grant's uh, behind-the-scenes post from episode 20, is he's, like, wearing his flash suit again. He's shooting an action scene, so it seems like he has his powers back by that, probably the end of what was going to be the end of that episode. Agree with me. <laughs> Only May. Okay. No, I agree with you. <laughs> I think you're both very smart and driven women. Why <laughs> 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 Anyways, 
Moving on to our final show, Legends of Tomorrow, with Sarah falling into a coma requiring, requiring her to recuperate on the wave rider from her last battle. Charlie starts, Charlie also notices that something might not be right with her. Sarah's acting a little funny. She did get hit full force in the face by her sister Ashpost, so Charlie's a little bit concerned. Um, Sarah brushes it off until she falls into a coma. Um, while still searching for the loom, Constantine and Zari find themselves trapped in a 1910 boarding house with a slew of out-of-time encores all searching for the ring. It's like a little bit like Lord of the Rings, like they're all looking for the ring. My precious. Um, meanwhile, while Zari and Constantine struggle not to think about the ring or their quote-unquote inconvenient attraction to each other, as Paul is <laughs> Ava, Gary, and Rory, whose daughter just told them to go to hell, do just that and take a trip to hell, to threaten Astra, while Nate and Charlie and the synopsis said hold down the fort, but I, I think the correct translation should be Nate and Charlie get high on the wave rider. <laughs> but they didn't do anything. That's exactly what they were doing when the team came back. Um, David gets directed the episode written by Jackie Camino. Um, who wants to start off telling me what sparked joy for you? Well, I will say that um, I love that it seems like Astro's going to be part of the team now. Uh, the fact that uh, she got out of hell with uh, Ava and the boys. Um, and then she's like, arrives on the ship and Constantine's like, what? And I was like, what? What? <laughs> Hello, Astro's here. That was that was a lot of fun, and I really liked the dynamic with Ava and Astro. With Ava, like sort of like explaining her situation with um, her mentor, with Rip Hunter, um, and correlating that to Astro's with chick whose name Hell Lady Lachesis, Lachesis, yeah, something like that. Whatever her name is, <laughs> that woman. Um, and I liked how you know, even though Astro was the first still going to play the game, and you know, kidnapped had Ava kidnapped and was all had them all tied up, but then when it came down to it, she realized that Lachesis was only using her, and she maybe was better off heading out with Ava and and trying to actually, you know, face-to-face work with Constantine to get her mom back. And I like that it's still like, you know, as What's-Her-Face says, you know, oh, why do you care about these petty human concerns, right? Like, why would you want your mom back? That's so dumb. Like, that is part of, like, what makes Astro be like, hey, listen, that's the only thing I want. <laughs> so, of course, I'm going to choose the side that might actually give me that instead of the side saying that that is shitty. Oh, my battery's running low. Okay. Um, I also loved the Zari and uh, Constantine team-up. I absolutely love their chemistry. I was not expecting to before this episode, but as soon as, like, as soon as Trevor came this episode, I was like, oh, hello. What is this? What is this? I also love how they got to that boarding house, and it was run by Mrs. Hughes. She was, like, she was out in Abby. That's why. Yeah, anyway. <laughs> anyway, she was, she was like that. You know, like, that kind of um, matronly, I have these rules. Like, I love when she was like, oh, you can't, you can't be, you can't be sharing a flat with, or sharing a room with <laughs> someone you're not married to. Oh, but we're getting married. Oh, okay, wonderful. I'm so happy for you, bitch. Like, oh. okay. <laughs> and also, um, I loved how Zari used her um, influencer skills to make everyone believe that she was Cleopatra, starting with Brutus. Even Brutus was like, makes sense. I buy it. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so that was, it was a lot of fun to see them sort of like team 
up in the short term um, with the rest of the encores, and also the fact that we had Bonnie and Clyde there, which was, was just funny. Um, and also how that was a kind of a parallel to Ava and Astra teaming up for, you know, they're like, okay, let's team up even though we're not on, we're on opposite sides, but we're going to get what we want. Although Astra's and Ava's will hopefully be a more successful team up than Zari Constantine's and the Hellians, the Hellions. But anyway, that whole situation was lots of fun. Zari actually proving herself once again that she is a very useful asset and part of the team and that she doesn't need to feel inferior because of her billionaire background. Um, self-made billionaire. So, sorry, it's the best. Um, Ava worrying about Sarah, very sweet. Um, that's, I'm like, what else? Oh, I really love the Enchantress. I can't remember her name. Yes. Um, well, she was, they called her Enchantress. Oh, yeah, she was so great. I loved her. Um, I love that we got the flashbacks with Charlie when she's like sort of explaining like how she got here, like how Boko decided that humans deserve free will. They had a really nice, and then we could just see the Enchantress be a through line, right, for different people's um, storylines throughout. And also the little um, one-off, that one-liner, if you will, where they were like, oh, why are you looking like Amaya in this? She's like, oh, it's just to make it easier. <laughs> that yeah, that was fun. a great explanation. <laughs> so, um, back on that, Nate, uh, I'm on the Zarya and Constantine train now. The end. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I mean... <laughs> To be honest, because like Jess said earlier, that Flash was sort of very distracting and emotionally draining. That, <laughs> And I was like, I had a glass, a couple of glasses of wine at the time. And I'm just like, I don't even know. I'm so distracted right now. I don't know what's really happening. I just know that, you know, Zari <laughs> makes a great Cleopatra. And I really love this tension between <laughs> her and Constantine. Um yeah, so I love that they got their little adventure and the fact that their relationship – so this is going to be me suspending my What Sparked Joy section, just waxing poetic about their relationship, because I think that it's – no offense to the Nate and Zari fans, but it's just more, much more organic. Like, it's authentic. It feels like it actually happened. You know, like, we got the little moment because we were all like – you know, raising our eyebrows, it's like, hmm, what is happening here with the whole Romeo and Juliet thing? Is this going to be a thing? <laughs> and then I love that they brought it back. It is a thing, you know, because on paper, Zari and Constantine don't really make sense, you know, because Constantine is so hard-headed, he just does whatever he wants. But she's also super stubborn and does whatever she wants, and she will get her way. And I love that they sort of were at each other's throats, but at the same time they were like Constantine was also super gentle with her and the fact that like they're working together to get the ring and they made a really good team. And I love that um, for them. And the, like the almost kiss was really, really good. Um, and, <laughs> and then, yeah. And then like the lingering look when she comes back on the ship and she's talking with me and I'm like, Oh, there's going to be a love triangle here. Oh my God. Um, so I already know what team I'm on just in case anyone didn't know already. But just, you know. <laughs> um, but yeah, she did make a great clear patch. And I love that Brutus was there. And, you know, it got to the point where they were all around the table. And then somebody, <laughs> I guess she was like the one holding the sword against the, the knife against his back. And I was like, here we are again. Except now the tables have turned. Um, but all of those characters, you know, the encores kind of meeting in one place. It was uh, very... Like an odd dinner party 
um, murder mystery type thing going on yeah. there, and it was really great to watch. Um, elsewhere, I really loved the scene with Charlie telling the story of uh, what happened and her being uh, in ancient Egypt, and all that was really cool because we we can understand like the sense that yes, Charlie is thousands of years old and she has existed throughout all of these different lifetimes and eras and stuff and it was really cool to see her interact with Enchantress who I also think is a great character and a great addition to um, the show um, the fact that Ava would go all the way to hell to try to save Sarah of course because you know they are the ship of the show but well I'll get to that, that rest of the that part <laughs> later um yeah i thought it was just a really good solid zari episode specifically in terms of like it moved her story forward and it moved constantine's story forward it moved astra's story forward and all those things are connected right now so i think that plot wise it worked out really well and the fact that like we got more of zari as a person her insecurities and the fact that she is so adamant about getting her brother back um and that she's just a you know, a hero in her own right because she's just doing all these things without having, like, she hasn't been using totem powers or anything like that. She's just using her influence, her abilities, and her quick wit and her intelligence to get things done. I love that. Yeah, I think that's a, a good. Are you, are your legs done, by the way? Yes. Okay. Yeah, I was going to say that's a good. The, the fact that they chose to make Zari an influencer, it makes sense because of how they ended the season finale and you know Zari being having like the dragon and saving the world kind of thing that she would be an influencer but also as far as like bringing her back on the team it's you know I feel like and I think she kind of alludes to it in this episode as well when she's talking to Constantine but the fact that she does have this kind of lifestyle it's you know a lot of like glitz and glam she's got like, a billion followers or whatever but it also feels a little bit shallow and she feels like other people see that or see her as shallow her mother sees her as shallow um, other people don't really appreciate what she could bring to the table, what, you know, the fact that she is so smart, the fact that she made that empire by herself, um, the choices, the business decisions that she made, the fact that she has such an emotional high cue and that she's able to use, she doesn't have power, she doesn't have a totem, but she was still able to save Constantine from almost getting stabbed at, at the dinner table. Um, she's helped a lot of the legends and some of the previous missions just from what she's learned in her life as an influencer. And um, I think that, you know, when you go back, not even just the legends, but other superhero shows like the flash with Iris West and a lot of like fanboys being like, she shouldn't be on the team. And what does she bring to the table? And, you know, all this kind of stuff. Um, you don't really have to have superpowers or be science, quote-unquote, to actually be able to contribute. And so I feel like in Legends, that's what Zari has been able to kind of do. She's found her place on the team without needing to be a, quote-unquote, superhero with, like, powers or whatever. Like, maybe, you know, in the beginning, we're like, well, how is she going to be on the team? But then, like, Barat has a totem, so what is she going to do? And she really showed that she doesn't need to have the totem to be able to be an effective person on the team. So I really like that about her in general. Um, in this episode, the, first of all, the, the opening sequence with Charlie, like, telling a story and then, like, 
Nate and the other legends like interrupting her. She's like, let me tell my story. It just looks like me because that's easier to for you guys to imagine. So let me, let me just tell the story. So I like that kind of interrupted storytelling moment. I also like, I feel like the whole ancient Egypt thing was like a redo of from when the Hawks were on there and then in ancient Egypt. So this one actually felt like it was, you know, especially that with Charlie looking like Amaya in this retelling, it just kind of made ancient Egypt seem more authentic. And the fact that Enchantress is dark-skinned black woman, of course, love that for me. Um, And I love that she was part, you know, they met in ancient Egypt. And so it kind of like, like I said, it kind of makes Egypt seem more authentic than whatever they were doing with the Hawks in season one. Um, So I, I really like that scene. And I like that, she was actually Mrs. Hughes at the end of the episode. Um, Cause it just kind of like ties her into the story. So maybe we can get some more of her um, as the season goes on to the finale. Um, let's see what else. I liked that. Also speaking of the enchantress, I guess I liked the little parallel at the beginning of the movie when Con- beginning of the movie, the beginning of the episode when Constantine and Zari first get into the boarding house Mrs. Hughes is like, she was looking for something and then she found it because she wasn't looking for it and she mentions that. And it doesn't like click until later on in the episode that the reason that they can't find the ring is because everyone is looking for the ring. Um, so that was a nice little hint. And then Constantine confirmed at the end that that's how he knew Mrs. Hughes wasn't exactly who she appeared to be. So that was kind of cool. Um, Zari and Constantine. I agree. Like, I, I I just think it's like comes down to chemistry because if you think about it, like Zari and Nate last year came out of nowhere. Um, it didn't really seem like they had spent a lot of time together. Um, they didn't really seem to be in chemistry. It was kind of like zero to a hundred. And then this season, um, Zari and Constantine don't really spend time together. They don't really seem like they're on like the same kind of like personality. But from the previous week, the Romeo and Juliet episode, you saw, we all saw something that was going on there. Like, what is this? You know, they both kind of, in such, you know, a romantic play like Romeo and Juliet in a romantic scene, and they're both kind of just, like, opening up and being, like, a little bit vulnerable with each other. Then you're like, huh, what is that? And then in this episode, we explore what exactly that is. Um, so, like, all of the, the things, like, Zari, like, falling on top of Constantine, um, all of those tropes work better for me in this pairing than they did in last season with Nate and, and Zari. Um, I just, I like, I feel like Nate, he, I don't like hate Nate as a person. <laughs> I just don't like him in romantic situations. Like, bromance Nate is great. You know, um, daddy issue Nate, love it, complicated, great stuff. But Nate and romances just don't fit for me um so i yeah sorry sorry people that like nate in romances i do not um and i also feel like zari and constantine they both kind of you know constantine has his like hard exterior where you know like may say like he's stubborn he does his own thing he doesn't really like to listen to people he's like a rolling stone he never really stays in one spot too long but he also has this soft um nature and the fact that he's doing all of this to save Astra from hell since he wasn't able to do it all those years ago that kind of makes him more vulnerable like he doesn't like to be vulnerable um 
but he does have like a good heart. And then you have Zari who has, she's amassed, like I said, this billion dollar empire and people perceive her to be shallow, but she actually has a lot going on um, underneath. And the fact that Bikrad has died and she wasn't there to protect him. Um, she's also kind of like a little bit of a vulnerable, vulnerable position where she's a lot sweeter than what people perceive her to be. So they do have that in common actually. So um, I think maybe that is also part of the reason why they kind of draw towards each other. So that's going to be interesting to see where it goes. I feel like I was a little bit annoyed. Well, I guess it's not that goes in the does not spark joy. So I'm not time yet. Yeah, the other side of the the episode. I guess the only thing that really sparked joy for me there was just Astra escaping hell and choosing to, you know, choosing Constantine over, because it's a very, like, attractive thing. Like, someone tells you, do you want to be a god? And you're like, hell yeah. <laughs> and, like, Astra spent, like, her whole life in hell trying to attain some sort of power. And these two women are offering her, like, actual power to control the fates of not only people in hell, but just like everybody that has ever lived ever. Um, so going from thinking that that's what she wants to actually realizing that what she really just wants is to have a normal childhood and her mom back. Um, and then her being able to escape hell with the rest of the legends. Um, I think they'll set up for some good tension as well between her and Constantine now that she's on the ship. So that's cool. Now, what did not spark joy for you? Oh, also, I'll just say, Gary, <laughs> being like the interim warlock in charge was hilarious. Oh, that was so cute. <laughs> yes. Oh, I love Gary. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, as for not spark joy, I think I will say the fact that they're still having a little Nate and Zari going on, even after we established that the other um, Zari loves Nate, and this Zari does not seem to. Yes, I feel like that's um, also to be a thing. Like they're two, like like Earth One and Earth Two Barry are not the same Barry, even though they genetically are the same Barry. Yeah, like, Zari and the Zari are not the same Zari, and therefore yeah. do not have the same love interest. Um. So. So yeah. So I'm. Yeah, and like it's that, like in before when we switch when we switch people we also switch love interests. So whatever. Let's switch love interests. But anyway, I'm not, uh, I was not into that. And also when he said, like, I liked that he said, like, oh, I'm only into, like, <laughs> um, you know, girls who, I can't remember what he said, basically, like, girls from the past who eventually leave me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I was like, so why are you trying again? Or girls from another timeline, whatever, another time period. I don't remember what he yeah, said. Yeah, it was a very um, self-aware moment. I was like, hmm, go yeah, with yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and yet, and yet we're still going to proceed with this. So no, don't proceed. Stop. Do not collect $200. But anyway, aside from that, um, while I loved Sarah going all out for Sarah, haha, while I love Ava going all out for Sarah, I do not love Sarah going out of the screen every episode. I don't understand what's going on. What is Katie Lots doing that we don't see Sarah? She's like, let me just pass out from this episode. I'll see you guys next week. Um, I don't I feel like it's been several episodes where we barely see Sarah. It's very weird. Um, but yeah, aside from that, I don't know. I don't know what else I just like. I'm trying to think. Um, I was hoping, I was actually hoping to move for, more forward with the mix storyline. So I was a little disappointed that we didn't get more of that this week, which is something I never thought I would say. 
in my entire <laughs> life. But in my good thing, I forgot, like, um, in my likes, I guess, because that was, like, a small moment. But when they're talking about um, Gary saying that you have to touch my hand to be able to leave hell with me, and Mick was like, well, we got to do this because my, my daughter has a son thing, and I'm going to be there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but see, that was cute. And next week, we're going to see her, actually, on the ship. Yeah. I'm super yeah. excited for that. I'm very, very excited for that. Um, anyway, that's all. Now, now that's it. I'm a pretty good episode, and I didn't really have any dislikes other than, you know, like, things that were not there, or things <laughs> that will be there, named Nate. Yeah, Nate. Um, <laughs> before I actually get to Nate, before I forget, though, I didn't like the fact that, like, I love the storytelling and the continuation of Charlie's story, but it felt like they just found a stupid reason to keep her out of the action for the rest of the episode because that was really dumb. I was like, okay, you're going to keep watch for Sarah and then you guys just sat around and got high while everyone else was just... That was her job, but neither of them are tech science people. So they're just like, let's get high and wait for stuff to happen. Yeah, so I did not like that because it was... Inorganic, I will say that. Um, as for the Sarah stuff, I think it's really, really weird because I feel like we've been hearing since last Comic Con that she would have this magical storyline, some magical, you know, sickness or whatever it was supposed to be, and yet we're ten episodes into the season and we have gotten nothing. Um, and we're supposed to, we were supposed to get something this episode, and then she spends half of it asleep in a coma or whatever. So I don't know, like Ty said, I don't know what's going on. Like we're past, we're way past crisis at this point, you know, filming. And then she already directed an episode. So I don't know why she continues to be taken out of entire plot lines. Um, because it doesn't feel like her story has done anything the last 10 episodes at all. She's just kind of been there in and out. A lot of the times, all the rest of the characters sort of take charge and, and steer the ship. Um, so that's really weird. And then I, I mean, with, with Doppelganger Barry, at least we can understand like why West Allen is love is infinite across universes, but like that's not the case with Zari and Nate. <laughs> so I don't understand why the writers go so hard on trying to make them be a thing. Even after, like Tati said, you know, it's been established that this Zari doesn't need to like the same things as old Zari did because she's still somewhat of a different person. She grew up differently and, you know, she so far hasn't really shown an interest in Nate on her own. And I don't like the fact that if she is going to show any interest in him, it's going to be because there's some, yeah. And there's like some sort of pressure there to be like old Zari. I don't like that implication. Um, because, you know, like we said, the relationship she has right now with Constantine feels more authentic and interesting. And like you said, Jessica, you know, it was they just have more chemistry as well. And that plays a big uh, it's a big factor in how a relationship works on screen. And I think the fact that they had like a self-aware moment for Nate where he's like, yeah, I'm fall in love with all these women who's going to who are going to leave me. Maybe you need to see a therapist and figure out why that is. <laughs> <laughs> you clearly have commitment <laughs> issues if you just fall in love with women who, you know, might leave or are time displaced or whatever. So I feel like there's something there and that could be something that he explores on his own without trying to be in a relationship with, again, 
someone who's time displaced. <laughs> um, and uh, just another version of someone he used to love. So it's, I don't know, it's all weird. Um, it's like, be weird. Like, if, if Zari is not the same Zari that he fell in love with, even though they look the same, just like Amaya or Charlie is not Amaya. So Right. Yeah, exactly. So it should be something that, you know, they take time to figure out on his own because, like, we don't need to be jumping into a weird love triangle. Like they get, I feel like they should explore if they're going to explore the Zari Constantine thing, it shouldn't necessarily be connected to Nate just because he happens to be there and really has something going on this season. Um, so they can keep that. <laughs> they had died for Nate to be like, now Nate's clinging and he needs a new like bestie. And so like, I feel like he's like clinging on to Zari. Like, I'm here for you. Like, are you, though? Or you just want somebody to, like, talk to you? Yeah. That is all. I echo, obviously, this. But before I get, well, maybe I'll launch into Nate and Zara's step, my final dislike, and just be, like, a, a blurb. But, um, yeah, basically, just what you guys said. I don't like that. Because I feel like the last couple of episodes, it set up an explanation for it to be okay for them not to happen. And yet in this episode, there is something in the beginning of the episode with between Nate and Zari. They get, in, it gets instru- uh, interrupted, interrupted by, I don't remember if it was Constantine or somebody else. Um, and then you have this huge thing happen between Zari and Constantine only to have it sandwiched between two Nate and Zari scenes, one at the beginning and one at the end with that kind of like linger- lingering glance at Constantine. And so I just, it just feels like, and I do think because Behrad died, now Nate needs someone because Ray's gone. Behrad is gone. So both of his boyfriends are gone. So it's kind of like now he's back to Zari. And so I don't want it to, yeah. I think that combined with her talk with old Zari from last week, I just don't want what to happen. <laughs> um, and then I think in Tala's interview that they did about the the episode, she basically just confirmed that it was the Nate Zari of it all isn't over yet, and that there's going to be like weird triangle stuff. Um, so I don't know. I don't know what's going on because I obviously Zari and Constantine are not like in game material. Like I don't think there's any really in game ship on this show except for maybe Sarah and Ava um but I would just you know anyone but Nate <laughs> I mean I guess I guess we was like well thanks Legends Writers now we have more you know content for our Love Boat series <laughs> yeah um and then also as just like a little annoyance um when they thought that it was Astra sending the encores to go after Constantine, or I guess, I can't remember if it was because they thought they were going after Constantine or because they hurt Sarah or whatever, but Ash, but Ava was ready to basically pick up a sword and kill Ash if she needed to, and then they get down there and um, mix, like, where's the bitch and all this kind of stuff. I'm like, I don't need these whites trash-talking Astra. She's been through a lot. <laughs> I know that Astra isn't doing all this stuff. So the fact that they are all like ready to go and trying to kill her is uh, rubbing me the wrong way. So luckily by the end of it, they 
all got on the same page. But up until that point, I was just like, I don't like you. I don't want you to succeed in this plot. So team Astra all the way. Um, feedback. We have feedback from the just Suara, right? Just Suara, yeah. And he's all we need. <laughs> so Suara says, like the Flash, Legends this week was also amazing. I love how much they're continuing Charlie and Zari's character development. Zari's resolve in particular at saving Bharad is honestly really inspiring to watch. I love her so much. I also don't mind her burgeoning maybe romance with John. <laughs> it honestly feels more organic than any other white dude she's forced to be with, so I'm kind of resigned to accepting it at this point. <laughs> I love how they incorporated the Fates storyline with Astra's, and it honestly flowed really well. I love that Astra is now part of the crew. Legends continues to fire on almost all cylinders, and on the whole, I really love the season, hoping the energy continues to the finale. It's really funny, because, like, last week, Swar was like, die, Constantine, die! <laughs> and this week, he was like, you know what? Hey, but with Zari, he's a little more palatable. <laughs> Predictions? Um, that Zari and Constantine's inconvenient attraction will become very convenient next season when they see how much we all like it. Hopefully, hopefully that is what happens. Yeah. I, you know what? To piggyback off of that, because we're going to have to give Nate someone else, probably Astra will still return next season as an adult, and they can go down that road and see if it works. Oh, my God. There you go. <laughs> as an adult? <laughs> <laughs> I have no predictions. Yeah, I got nothing. <laughs> That's beautiful. That's beautiful. My, my, my wish wish is that the Hyde comes back and he stays on for next season, and they just wonder twin it with the. Someone oh, mentioned. Sure. I don't know where they saw this information. Maybe I just missed it. That they have confirmation that he does come back. The Anon that was talking about. Um, that she had the, she or he had the theory that um, the actress was one of the sisters' face. And that Anon came up with the face theory. They also um, said that probably the reason why Charlie and Bihrad were paired together earlier in the season was so that his death would be more impactful. Said that later on um, that they saw him filming again. So mm-hmm. that Anon also knew that he would be back by the end, so be fixed. And then also um, someone else said that in the trailer for the rest of the season, the Herod does come back. You see him in the trailer. So, oh, wow. Oh, that's where, okay. Well, I mean, yeah. I definitely think that, like, like, he can come back and then still, you know, end up dead. But I'm positive that considering that Zari's storyline started with not having her brother, not having her family, and wanting her family back, and then she, like, literally, not on purpose, but traded her own life, for her family, like, it would be really super shitty if they did not end yeah. her story with her family. So, I'm positive that he'll be back. <laughs> Finally, last but not least, Lady with Gumption of the Week. Okay. You're, you're Iris Point to be a real girl um, from The Flash. We have in Batwoman. Who do you want in Batwoman? Mary for her, yes, for her, her inspirational feet. speech and her staying and her staying with the with the patients when the building was going to explode. Yeah, when the building was about to explode, and then legends. We count Kate for being brave enough to finally tell Luke 
what she did. I mean, we can, but... <laughs> <laughs> she's like, she's not going to win. <laughs> okay, but what about, like, Legends? I feel like we have at least two with um, Zari and Astra. Yeah, Zari and Astra, I don't know. Zari and Astra, yeah. They both did well. So, uh, overall... I'm going to go with Mira Iris. <laughs> I mean, yeah, yeah, she overcame her programming, damn it. <laughs> I mean, Astra overcame her programming. She's been That's in health true. for like a long time. Yeah. She's been approached by this woman. Yeah. She gave up being a goddess. Yeah. <laughs> so, you're voting for Astra? I, I'm trying to make a case. <laughs> I'm trying to make a debate. <laughs> it's a good debate. I don't disagree about Astra. I just don't think that it was her episode overall. Like, she only was in it for so long. Mm -hmm. So I feel like in the future, Mm -hmm. she could get, like, bigger stuff to do in terms of, like, telling the fates to fuck themselves. (laughs) All right. I just don't want it to be like seeing that there's any bias. And we're just giving away. Hey, no, yeah. I voted like, now. Hey, I'm not that biased. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I agree though. Like it was a, it was great for Astra, but it wasn't like an Astra episode the way that this was got on your Iris or Candace episode. Got it. Got it. So it is agreed that the lady with gumption of the week is Candace Patton's acting. Um, as a flash. Um, next week we get all of our shows back. We also have Supergirl, and it's going to be Melissa's um, directorial debut and a Lex centered So stay tuned for that. Yeah. We'll have our shows. We'll talk about the likes, dislikes, latest gumption of the week. Um, if you are bored and you want to catch up with our past episodes, you can check them out on Podomatic, uh, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher. Or you can become a Patreon and you can get extra content from other shows um, and other topics that we discuss on there. So we will see you again next week. Bye. Bye. Bye.